0: It's Distazapod, and let me tell you, folks, you are dodging a major bullet here. I had originally started recording uh, at least a good 25-minute jag on uh, modern movies, franchises, why they suck, uh, great movies from the 80s and 90s to watch instead, uh, the cinematic problem with being unable to show us anything new, etc., etc., this great diatribe, and uh, it did not record. So instead of trying to uh, reformulate those thoughts over again, I'm just going to spare you from uh, my old man lashing out on a gurney uh, viewpoint. But my point still stands with that segment that will never air. Um, You should watch two movies uh, over the holidays that I just saw. I really loved a lot. First one is a movie called Orlando from 1994, which I believe is the Either in a very early or the first cinematic appearance of Tilda Swinton. It is a fantastic movie. It also ties into Alan Moore and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, if you can believe that. Uh, really great, almost fairy tale like, uh, kind of Shakespearean film. Very beautiful, uh, fantastic cinematography. Uh, highly, highly recommend this movie. And then the other one I would recommend, which I just watched finally after promising to watch it for uh you know probably two decades is Quadrophenia uh, the Who's movie and it's uh pretty fantastic as well for much different reasons but if you guys are looking for some suggestions either of those are really great movies and a good antidote to just watching rehashed franchise films uh over and over again also a big shout out. Uh, I covered this on the patreon, but uh, I'll say it here as well. Big shout out to our good friends at Carolina Cool Cat and at Neon Strikers. Uh, yesterday I received in the mail resin figures from both these creators. Uh, I'm lucky enough to call these folks uh, as I should say, I'm lucky enough to have them both as patrons and uh, they are going down the path of toy making very slowly and in the correct way. They are starting with doing resin and doing 3D printouts, doing small scale releases, building a fan base, fine tuning their aesthetics. And uh, these are phenomenal figures. And we really should applaud these creators. You guys should be following both of them if you're not already. Grant's Anchor Fist is this amazing hunk of plastic. This, this uh, proper thick boy. Looks great next to Nice of the Slice. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Richard and Neon Strikers and these beautiful, esoteric, angular, impossible sort of characters. Um, Richard in particular, Neon Strikers, is on Patreon. And if you sign up for their top tiers, you will get one of these figures. And he, uh, both both artists fully paint these figures. And both of them get high marks for very clean, beautiful application. with uh, Neon Strikers, as I said, you can sign up for a top tier, and I think it's two or three months or something like that, you will get a fully painted, beautiful printout of his character. So uh, I want to commend both these people. Um, I can't claim any credit for their success here. Uh, hopefully, I, I maybe have been a little bit of a beacon, and uh, maybe they've absorbed some of the lessons I've shared in what not to do with toy making but uh it's always does my heart proud to see you know uh fans take the step into being uh big time toy makers and i think both of these guys are gonna have a long illustrious career and hopefully one day they take the step into real production and make this a reality but uh they're in they're moving in the right direction, and I applaud them for that. So go follow both those artists, and uh, I think you'll be very happy you did. Couple more things to mention here. Uh, patrons, people who have signed up at patreon.com slash d'astasio hopefully you're one of them, got access to a Thanksgiving three-course meal. And this is a Material Plus set of figures Uh, They feature Cherubium heads. And I was really struggling for a long time to figure out how to do this three-pack. I knew I wanted to have, uh, you know, I wanted to utilize these material bodies that I had in stock. I wanted to do a fully painted version of the Cherubium heads. And uh, I wanted to, like, focus on these three characters and make them available together. And I, I really was struggling with finding a place to put that in the schedule of releases and things like that. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of this week, I just had this flash of inspiration, like, oh, what if this is a three-course meal? We're all thinking about food. We're all heading home for the holidays. We're all going to be, you know, hopefully having uh, a nice turkey day. Let's do that. And it just, that sort of framing for the three-pack kicked it into gear, and I was able to kind of turn it around within 24 hours and present it to patrons. Um, Thank you everybody who got one. Very strong reaction to it. I don't know if this is going to be available in the store or not. Uh, I guess it just depends if the run is totally sold out. I'm sort of making these to order, and I think there's going to be a lot more of that happening for Patreon uh, when it comes to slices and stuff like that. It, It doesn't really make sense for me to build hundreds of a figure or a multi-pack and then it goes public to the store and doesn't sell so i think there's going to be more of me sort of tailoring to the patrons uh these special offers and just building exactly what is needed to satisfy those folks if you're not a patron and or if you are a patron and just uh it's not in your budget to get this three-pack yet um the the items if there are a surplus will matriculate into the store eventually so you can uh stand by for that it's also worth noting we are getting dangerously close to december and dangerously close to concluding action figure the month club for 2021 um while i do not have every detail for 2022 sorted out yet uh i do have a couple things i'm thinking about Uh, at this point It is all but a certainty that it will be two packs and it will ship out every second month. So February will be the first two pack. Uh, I sat down and had some time to break out what six releases a year looks like. And I got to tell you, this is a fantastic idea. Um, I already know what those six releases are. Uh, Each pack is thematic, so the two characters have some sort of interaction together. Sometimes it's... As adversaries sometimes not um, and the good news is with the ongoing shipping delays which they so we're still delayed <laughs> um, this gives me a lot more time to work on the creative side of things work on the comic books that supplement these releases work on things like sticker sheets or postcard comics things like that so um, this is how the club needs to evolve in order to survive in you know, the ongoing global pandemic and shipment delays. Uh, but the plus side is you're going to get a wallop of a package when these do ship. And that means I'm sitting on a lot of spare parts that may never work themselves into Franken-slices. So I'm going to supercharge these two packs and you're going to get bonus pieces, you're going to get material, Uh, for customs. You're going to get just odds and ends that are hanging around, you know, a spare head here, um, an extra cape here. You're going to sort of be able to get this mailing and it's going to be more of a kit than it is a single figure. You're going to have a lot of options, a lot of different looks. You can obtain bonus items and uh, I think that this is the natural path forward. We have smaller, more concentrated, more interesting releases for the club. And, uh, you know, it's, it'll be a much more sort of exclusive sort of engagement, if that makes sense. I'm not going to be doing year-round enrollment. Uh, you know, at this was a very bizarre year, obviously, for the mass stress and strain that everybody's been under, including in the financial realm. Uh, so... What I can tell you is that we're gonna end the year probably with exactly the same amount of patrons as we started the year with. And the extra work of having constant enrollment and people dropping in and out, if that ends up being a net zero for new patrons, if it didn't uh, make us expand in a dramatic way, then it's really not worth the extra trouble of enrolling people. and making sure, you know, new ad- addresses are correct and credit cards go through and things like that. So, um, you know, I think my focus is shifting to just having a smaller, more dedicated Patreon fan base and not worrying about sort of whipping people up and getting them into the Patron throughout the year. I think it's, uh, it's much better just to focus on the diehards that are in place already. So, for you guys, you got to think about what you want your tier level to be moving into 2022. Uh, If you have a monthly sort of uh, payment, if you're not going to do annual, if you prefer monthly, and you're already a patron, you can have that tier grandfathered in. I will keep that going. But I'm probably going to uh, either close off or just unpublish the $30 and $50 tier, and everything will kind of be locked in place moving into January. I, of course, want to encourage people that are in the position to, to sign up for the full year. Uh, likely not having full year as an option in December. We'll probably only have that January to January. Um, and uh, I will see about having some kind of incentive, you know, some kind of bonus material figure or something like that for people that pay for the entire year. Um, full-year subscriptions, like, really solve a ton of problems for me in terms of the fulfillment schedule and, you know, any any number of things. And, of course, and as always, final disclaimer, uh, material styles will be involved in both uh, the remainder of Action Figure of the Month 2021 and moving forward into 2022. Uh, now, when you get, say it's February 2022, you're a year-long member, a full-year member of Action Figure of the Month Club, you're going to get this beautiful two-pack. You're also going to get bonus accessories. Uh, You're going to get, you know, printed material. It's going to feel like a really, really great experience. And uh, I'm sort of taking a hit in moving from monthly to every other month because there's this really wonderful uh, sort of marketing explosion let's say every month when people get their packages you get the reviews going up, you get photos being shared, you get builds being made and that helps keep Knights of the Slice front and center in people's minds Um, potentially there's a visibility hit that I will take by moving to every other month but really this is about survival of the business in the face of you know global supply shortages so um, I really can't be too picky about that Oh, yes. And the, uh, the final consideration here for moving into 2022 is I am likely moving to a more standard uh, box for shipping for the figures. And there's a varied amount of reasons for doing this. One is the boxes we use this year, while they are very aesthetically pleasing and very beautiful, uh, they are one, incredibly wasteful because of the plastic sleeve, which cannot be recycled. Two... They take about three times as long to build. And uh, number three, they do not actually protect the figure so much that it can be shipped by itself. That that box for Action Figure of the Month Club has to be put into another box in order to arrive safely. It doesn't actually, you know, they are crushable and dentable. So they're not actually very functional. So what I'm looking at for next year is going to be essentially the mailing boxes that you guys already receive those will become the main boxes this is also crucial because we're doubling the size of these mailings right there's going to be two figures plus accessories so uh we need something bigger sturdier that can hold more weight um i'm looking at some options for sort of adorning the outside of it but as i've always talked about minimizing waste is important in what i'm doing you know the the entire pursuit of Toy collecting is one that produces so much waste surrounding it, you know, from the fossil fuels utilized to manufacture the, uh, you know, the plastics, the plastics themselves, uh, the industrial byproduct from that process, to the, you know, use of plastic containers and bubbles and things like that. Like, this is an incredibly wasteful hobby, uh, considering. You know, the the end result is just this tiny piece of plastic and everything that goes into that is, you know, really bad for the earth. So, uh, I am always trying to find ways to use less waste and and be less wasteful. And I think that moving to just utilizing the packaging, the sort of shipping boxes we already have as the main boxes is part of that. Um, In some ways, I'm bringing all this up because... This Thanksgiving three-pack is kind of a good example of what the club may be, right? Now, it's not going to be three figures. It's going to be two figures. But the amount of extra parts you get, the cohesive sort of narrative about the set, uh, the fact that the characters relate to one another, like all of this is a little bit of a prototype for what we're going to be looking at with these two packs uh, next year. There's also um, the sort of grim reality every year when I'm getting ready to look at the next year for the club is that prices go up, right? And prices have really gone up this past year. Uh, I used to pay roughly about 50 cents per figure to be air freighted over to the United States. And my most recent shipment saw those prices skyrocket to about, $2.50 $2.50 per figure. So going from $0.50 cents per figure to two hundred and fifty cents—that uh, sorry, two dollars fifty sorry $2.50 per figure, that is an enormous increase. Uh, that is a cost that is very hard to sort of take a hit on, and it does eat into the margin. So for next year, I don't want to raise prices. I want to keep the $30 tier where it is. I want to keep the $50 tier where it is. Uh, and part of that means where, what are the non-essential ways that I can sort of mitigate the increased costs that I'm facing on the product itself. And by switching to just a sort of using the standard shipping box, that's a huge deal, right? The, the inner cartons with the little plastic sleeve that we utilized this past year, very expensive. Um, not quite as expensive as the figure itself, but not that far off. And if you also factor in the sheer amount of time it takes to make all of them, uh, you know, you could argue it is more expensive than the figure itself, but uh, not quite. So, um, you know, I, I have to sort of find creative ways to be able to deliver and, and keep the target cost for all these things where they should be. So I know this is all a bit insider baseball, but hopefully you appreciate a... Uh, look into the inner workings of these things Um, one final thing to touch on before we hop into the questions Um, we are getting very close to the next ebook release the next big story drop and that is Alexander and Olympus Reforged now patrons got to read the first chapter of the story and it seems to be universally loved, and I, I really appreciate everybody who took the time to read through. I know an entire post that's largely just text is not a hell of a lot of fun, so anybody who kind of digs in and goes through it, I think, you know, you're really dedicated, and uh, I uh, my hat's off to you. Thank you. But uh, I'm really enthusiastic about this story. It has taken me... I've been thinking about this story for a year, and I knew I had to kind of get through... Uh, Battle for Pangea Island and some other things on the docket. And now that I'm here, the story is flowing very well. I think this is probably the most ambitious story yet. Um, There are huge implications for multiple characters throughout this whole thing. There's going to be a couple questions coming up in the Q&A that reference this first chapter. Um, And I'm genuinely excited about it. And, uh, you know, it, it can... Sometimes be months and months uh, before I find my footing with a narrative and before I I feel the juice coming off of it. And uh, I'm at that stage right now. And I'm fighting against myself to not just tease out Chapter 2, because I do actually think Chapter 2 gives away way too much of the game. Uh, But needless to say, my head is down. I'm working on this. Uh, very excited there's a lot of great artwork being generated for it and uh, that's going to be our next big sort of story drop Um, I guess look for that maybe first week of December just depends on when I can kind of uh, cross the t's and dot the i's but Alexander's coming up soon it's going to be a wild time Okay, first up, Gabriel Tovar. He's got the question of the day. What's your favorite Thanksgiving meal that you are looking forward to? Um uh, the skin of the turkey. <laughs> Probably a bizarre answer, right? I, I love I love just crispy skin on on fowl. I, I just think it's fantastic. Um turkey meat itself, you know, it's always this debate, is it any good? Uh you know, it's, it's fine. Um, I think a roasted chicken is much more delicious than a roasted turkey, but, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. I mean, I love a good gravy. Uh, there's some pretty, pretty decent gluten-free stuffing we'll have. Uh, I guess just every, all the flavors kind of mix together and you need a little cranberry sauce. Um, you know, you need some mashed potatoes, you need some gravy, you need the whole, sort of thing. If you can get all that on one forkful, then I think you're in good shape. Would love to hear from all of you, however, what your favorite Thanksgiving meal is, so leave me a comment. I want to know, know who the freaks are. Next question from Gordon McKinnon-Hall. Which character design from Doro Hedoro do you find most interesting and why? Um, boy, that's a great question. So, uh, I, I did pick up there's a really fantastic Doro Hadoro art book. Um, I believe it's called Mud and Sludge, which is roughly what Doro Hadoro translates to anyway. Um, this is an absolutely groundbreaking book. I mean, the, the amount of mixed-media work that goes into the artist's uh, pieces really cannot be believed. you you got to pick up this art book. Um, it's one of the best in the game. Uh, I do have to go with Kamen, right? The, the main character for Dora Hedoro, in terms of best character design because I had come across um, an image of him from the manga years ago. Um, I, I, I don't actually know when the manga started. I'm guessing it's probably close to 10 years ago because I sort of found an image of this character, had no idea who he was, and printed it out and... and snipped it and pasted it into a sketchbook because it was so captivating and I couldn't really find any information I think it was sort of shared from um a toy show in Japan or something like that like there wasn't a um it wasn't a way to discern what it was from but I remember being absolutely captivated by this big hulking figure with this gas mask and these spines coming out and the, the sort of two knives. And I didn't actually know that underneath there was a lizard man, but I knew this was some kind of imposing creature. Uh, so I do think he's got the best design, but um, all the other characters have really fantastic designs as well. And, um, I mean, if you haven't seen the Netflix series, you guys should just stop listening to this and go watch it. It's It's really one of the best contemporary pieces of anime that's been made in a very long time it is truly fantastic and i would also say the manga is absolutely worth picking up as well as this art book Um, the netflix series does a really good job and they are pretty um faithful to everything but the manga does expand a bit on that so um you can sort of gain a little bit more information about the characters and their setting and things from the manga Next question, a great question from Keith Joy. Do we know what the Trilobite Kingdom and Mars think of Alexander? Are they aware of his presence? Um, well, without giving too much away here, we're going to have that answered in this upcoming ebook. Uh, if you remember in Turbo Atoll, I believe, I want to say issue number two. <laughs> Probably should know that. Um, the cover of issue number two is this great big dinner with all these interesting vivid characters sitting and they're all there. You know, they all get character moments. They're all going to interact with each other in a big way. And uh, essentially we're going to have that version of that meal happen in this Reforging Olympus story. Uh, But instead of the heroes of the story, it's going to be the villains of the story. So we're going to have an answer very soon in this ebook, of what the Trilobite King thinks of Alexander and his sort of ambitions. Uh, Are they going to meet as enemies and adversaries, or are they going to collaborate, or are they going to be neutral to each other? It's a really fascinating question. Um, We can ask that question also about all the opposing forces in the world, the Knights of the Slice. How do they view this would-be conqueror, and are they going to butt heads with him? It's, you know, there's a lot of tension in that question. And that's why I think this next story is, you know, it's just got so much juice to it. Next question from Matt Connolly. Do you dream plot lines for Knights of the Slice? And when you wake up, you know what's next for the story. Um, I, would, I would definitely say dreams are very important to me and inspire a lot of things. Uh, recently, I had a friend of the pod, Draculazer. Send me a photo of a toy he picked up at Decon, didn't know what the make was, and I I couldn't recall the name of the company that made them, but I had a general idea. And I pointed them in the right direction to figure it out. And then that night when I went to sleep, the name of the company came to me. I was dreaming about being in a flea market, and I found that exact figure, I picked it up and the package was still there, and sure enough, uh, on the package in my dream was the name of this company I was trying to remember and then when I woke up in the morning I still retained that and I followed up with Dracula Laser. and so your dreams can sort of piece together a lot of what's missing in the waking life. Um, I don't know that I've specifically dreamed Night of the Slice plot lines but I definitely draw influence from them uh, when I'm building that world and I'm Sort of writing the bullet points of what happens next. I guess actually, now that I recall, uh, I did have this very specific, um, vivid dream when I was in high school about Rex Gannon, and it's very funny that this is <laughs> this precedes the last question because um, it was Rex or I was Rex rather in this dream, and I was sitting at a king's banquet. And his daughter was flirting with me. I knew the sort of um, the musician who had been hired to play this banquet. Uh, We were sort of friendly, Um, but there was also like a lot of tension in the room. I remember I had a sort of holdout pistol I had hidden under the table. There were people at the table that were sort of adversarial, and um, you know that that was such a crazy, vivid dream. And it did actually, when I woke up, I sort of jotted down a very quick comic of it and then when I was writing Turbo Atoll I found that comic and I thought, oh yeah, the banquet, the banquet with the king that's a good idea, let me find a way to put that in there um, so I guess the answer to this question has changed dramatically as I remember this yes, there have been direct dream inspirations uh, and you know, we're, we're getting back to that scenario in a dream once again for Alexander so that'll be interesting Next question is from Brett Barnacle who is a newer patron so um can't remember if I said welcome or not but welcome. Any plans for another Kenner style figure like Verkill? I love the limited the limited swivel on him. I don't know if it's a popular opinion but some of the other squad with some of the other squires but it just hits the right button for me. Thanks. Sorry I'm having such a hard time talking today. I clearly have not met my caffeine quota yet. Um so this is a divisive figure. I do feel like Verkill has hit a new stride with this recent release, with him and his sort of Pangaea Island colors. Um, he is shot in that classic Kenner blue I love so much, and I feel like with the painted poncho and the accessories, it's starting to click for people that this is like my version of a Kenner figure from the late 70s if I were to do that, and um, You know, I think it looks great. I I love seeing people sort of customs with him. Regarding whether or not there's going to be, like, specifically limited figures in this Kenner fashion in the future, it really depends on the character, right? Uh, If I have something more complex, like, say, Cro-Mega, it would not make sense to just have him be uh, kind of more stationary than previous figures. Um, Originally... The original idea with Verkill was I just needed a body that would fit in the jumpsuits, and that was kind of part of the uh, you know initial push for doing something more simplified that could just slip right into these jumpsuits. Um, but you know, like my desires for the line and the, and the needs of the line really morph and change from those early decisions. So I, I think safely you can assume that most figures are going to be closer to what Chromega is than Verkill. But if there are, um, you know, specific characters that are skinnier or, or have uh, less of a less of an opportunity for swivels and articulation, then I'm not shy about making the figure be as structurally sound as it needs to be, even if that sort of sacrifices some of the articulation points. So, um... Hopefully that answers your question. Next up, the Tomimoto zone. What is your experience with Daylight Savings Time? What is it like living with it and adjusting to it on the mainland? Uh, I would say generally it sucks. Uh, I would say that the dramatic shortness of the days uh, in these couple months Is psychologically very difficult. Um, It is dark around here at about 4pm. Now this is only going to last a few weeks and then we sort of, what is it, winter solstice and then the days slowly, incrementally start getting a little longer. But this first stretch here is really, really tough. And um, it's also when it starts to get cold, so it's uh, it's pretty miserable. Um, I do think that The benefit of having more sunlight earlier is kind of outweighed by the safety issue of the majority of people still sort of driving at nighttime and there being less light out. Uh, Pretty easy correlation to draw between more daylight hours and safer sort of traffic conditions. And uh, so I I do, I would love to see this sort of abolished and done away with. Um, Not, not a big fan of that. And shout out to Arizona for uh, holding firm and not adopting this time switch. Next up from Gavin Rader, naive question, is there any possibility that Goliath's factory workers get to bring home figures to their children? I love the idea of little kids in China creating their own stories with characters like Sen, Faden, Kabuto Mushi, et um, So I think the the sort of, the probable answer is no for a couple reasons. One, um, you know, we have very few leaks of GLIOS product out into the secondary market. It has happened once or twice. Um, but you know, that gets clamped down on pretty quick. So, uh, they are very strict about shredding any unused samples and disposing of them and not allowing them to sort of reach the black market, which, uh, you know, on a top level is sort of, uh, the responsibility that we need and want. Um, the other part of this is, I you know, I've been fortunate enough to go and visit the factory and the assembly line and the paint line, and uh, it is largely a sort of family operation. You know, there are men that work on the sort of uh, injection-molded machines, and their wives work on the paint line. So it's, it's a much different experience than I think uh, we would imagine, you know, when we see, like, stock footage of factories and these big sort of industrial, uh, you know, uh, airport hangar type buildings with, you know, a lot of sterile, um, you know, faceless people just kind of toiling away. It's much different than that. It's a much smaller sort of core team, um, who all kind of know each other. And, um, so that's kind of an interesting facet of this. Uh, I asked my, you know, the factory manager, um, you know, he has, I believe, two kids, two sons, um, you know, what, if his kids were interested in toys in general, if they had seen our stuff, if, you know, X, Y, and Z, and, uh, the truth is his kids and, and likely most of the kids in China are not interested at all in this stuff, (laughs) you know, um, they, they get to experience, like, true high-speed internet there gaming and devices and apps are a huge part of the culture over there even more so than it is here so you know largely that generation of kids are digital beings like they are truly self-expressed in the vector you know in ways that my generation and also us in the u.s are not so even if uh it was kosher for these figures to be brought home I think they would probably be met with, uh, you know, unenthusiastic, uh, little children faces. (laughs) Next up, from Thomas Jonte, who would write the ending to Knights of the Slice if I didn't? Is that someone that can have an ending? Is it something that can have an ending, or is it forever built upon morphed, rebooted? Hashtag, thousand years of Knights of the Slice. Um, well, I think in all likelihood I'm not going to be alive to end the story of Knights of the Slice. Um, just because I do think there is years of story beyond my lifespan to tell, um, assuming, you know, I or my estate still control the rights to Knights of the Slice at, you know, at the tail end of this, um, and I'm not there to sort of complete it, I do have sort of a broad arc written down, uh, that somebody could sort of pick up and and kind of, um, you know, uh, Kevin Herbert it into existence. Or is it Brian Herbert? Brian Herbert it into existence. Kevin J. Anderson. Um, I think, obviously, like the, the torchbearer would have to be Matt Dowdy, right? Because um, nobody else outside of myself has a more intrinsic understanding of these characters uh, and, you know, the very fabric and nature of their being. Uh, I would love for Doughty to sort of supplement his storytelling efforts with, you know, key people like Josh Guerra, Bobby Torres, Steve Vera, you know, my closest friends who can kind of uh, provide uh, additional sort of insight or a spirit to the project. But yeah, it would have to be, you know, it would have to be Doughty. I just there's there's nobody else that's dove to the same level uh, with this world. Next question comes from Michael Copla. Of course, this is another question about Crow. He's become my daily co-pilot as of late, so I've had plenty of time to appreciate and dissect the sculpt. Did Crow Mega have any iterations we don't know about? Like, at one point, did you ever consider doing his pelt armor like a VJ, being removable to have a shirtless, beefy boy? Um, so, Crow is pretty close to his original... Incantations, um, you know, there was not a ton of visual reference for Crow starting out uh, compared to somebody like Senfive, and I think I touched on this in the last uh, podcast. But Senfive was really fleshed out, and I had more art of him from my childhood than almost any other character. Uh, when it came to Crow, he was just sort of a a brief idea from a. You know, a short story that I never finished, uh, that kind of stuck in my mind for a long time, but never really manifested itself in additional art and a different additional takes. So, uh, if you go and watch the toy pizza video we released, uh, I guess a month ago, it does show some of my contemporary noodling doodles of uh, Chromega. But really, he didn't take shape until Beef Strong. Came in and really put his thumbprint down on this idea. Once, once Beef Strong sort of interprets something, it's very hard to see it any differently because he is uh, such a profound artist with such vision that when he says it is so, it you know reality sort of bends around that. Um, so, not a ton of variance for Crow. His production was pretty straightforward. Um, as people are discovering there's actually a lot of different molded parts on Crow and uh, it is the most complex figure we've ever done Uh, I am actually surprised and somewhat puzzled by the amount of separate pieces that go into this and if uh, you ever have the time it is a lot of fun to do things like the top of the knife handle on the leg the cuffs on the boots skull, uh, one of the bones, the decorative bones, like there are a ton of separate molded pieces that went into this. And, um, you know, it's uh, it truly is a a high watermark. Regarding having the pelt and armor be separate, uh, I never thought to do that. That is actually a really fantastic idea. Um, But I always sort of saw him as a relatively solid figure. Uh, I guess if I started over from today, that wouldn't be the worst thing to kind of incorporate into this, right? Next up, we have Quentin Russo. Does creating another Cola variant ever cross your mind? I think Star Marshall would look great. The Cola Killer material style was a little dark, but awesome in the sun. I'd settle for the same or anything in between. So the Cola figures that we've done, which also were scented, they smelled like soda, which was a nice little bonus. um, Those are really very specifically tied to a, a character and a place in the story and a specific ability. So for me, I have a hard time doing another cola style figure uh, just by virtue of it being tied so tightly to this one specific um, you know, sort of scene within Knights of the Slice. Uh, So honestly, I haven't had the urge to do any more of those. I I think that when I do gimmick-style figures, things like scented plastic or, you know, uh, a, a very heavy concept, like a soda-based character, um, I, I find that less is more when it comes to those things, because before you know it, I'd be, like, releasing, uh, scented figures every year around the same time frame, you know, as, like, a, uh, a regular ongoing thing, and I don't think anyone wants that. Next question from Charles. Does the family of late actor Klaus Kinski know you made him into an action figure? Um... So, uh, officially, uh, any, any resemblance to the likeness of Kloskinski or his family is purely coincidental. Uh, but I do think you touch on something that we were kind of able to achieve with the Alexander-slash-Lintz Runbro head, and that I think we've achieved here with Count Burkill. Um, a good sort of homage will blend several things together, right? So, in the case of the Alexander head... Uh, when that figure was released, he, he evoked a lot of different reactions from a lot of different people. They saw different things in it. Some people thought it was Flash Gordon. Some people thought it was uh, Liquid Snake from Metal Gear. Some people with his color scheme thought he was more like Hulk Hogan. So I think we've been able to kind of replicate that success with Count Verkill and his aesthetics because it means a lot of different stuff to different people. Uh, some people look at it and they see very clearly uh, Fade Routha from Dune. Some people see uh, Rucker Hauer from Blade Runner. Some people see Klaus Kinski. Some people see Sting from Quadrophenia. Like, uh, I, you know, I think we were really able to kind of narrow it down to an archetype, which we're going to talk about in the next question, um, with both these characters and kind of evoke a lot of the same patterns we sort of see when it comes to, you know, actors and facial features and things like that. I also wouldn't be surprised if the look of Roy Batty in Blade Runner was actually inspired by Klaus Kinski. Uh, you know, that would not surprise me at all. Our last question of the day is Sean Denny. I'm gonna list a few archetypes. I was wondering if you've ever considered doing a Night of the Slice version of any of them. Some sort of decorated military general, think M. Bison. Some kind of street punk, sneakers, mohawk, etc. Or a creature slash being consisting or covered in crystals. Would like to see any of these themes, but I'm not satisfied with my own kitbash attempts, even using parts from other Glios lines. Um, so you've outlined a couple really cool sort of, uh, I guess, archetypes. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair word for it. Um, so I'll answer these as honestly as I can. As far as a decorated military general, not exactly. Um, I, I did design a sort of standard soldier type. Um, and my goal there was to, I don't know, just have kind of a, a olive drab, uh, sort of army builder soldier type and i wanted to have two different torsos i wanted to have a sort of bare chest torso and then you know a armored one in uh, as far as this aesthetics go it would kind of be like a uh you know i look a lot at mattel guts and this is a sort of revamping of the old classic stationary plastic soldier toy line uh came out in the 80s i think 84 and i love those figures i took them everywhere i would you know set them up. i would like make a moat with the garden hose and set them up and you know have a lot of fun with them and the designs on those figures are really cool because they are sort of like they're 80s designs but they're sort of quasi futuristic and so um they kind of have like bulbous armor uh, you know, almost a slight biomechanical look and feel to them. And I always felt very inspired by what that line sort of carved out. Uh, they had to, you know, they were selling army soldiers to kids, so they had to make them recognizable as that and have different factions that would be easy to understand. But I think that they also managed to put interesting, almost sci-fi tweaks on the armor and such. and. I always really, uh, really liked that line. So my sort of army builder, general soldier type was along those veins. It was sort of a imagining what a sort of slightly futuristic soldier would have looked like in a 80s mindset. Um, I went so far as to, to do a couple very quick sort of mood sketches of what this character would look like. Uh, And then this was going to become the fifth figure that Beefstrong was going to do. I was going to just keep having Beefstrong churn out as many characters as he wanted to. Um, Even if they never became figures, I just liked his work and I could bank these sort of projects. And, you know, maybe they'd see the light of day someday. Fortunately for Beefstrong, being such a high-caliber, talented artist, uh, he got gobbled up for some film production. And, uh, you know, he's been heads down on that ever since. So I think likely, um, you know, the four beef-strong boys we got are probably going to be all of them. Um, But who knows? Maybe one day his schedule will clear up and he'll come back down. So we'll see. So that's the sort of military guy. Not a general per se, but, um, you know, a sort of more general army builder type. Uh, Street punks. Yes, I have thought about this. Um, there, I did go so far as to sort of sketch out some things. This would be kind of a, almost a teenage body to the Classic Knight. If the Classic Knight is about four inches tall, um, and that's about the equivalent of six feet tall, this would be slightly smaller, slightly skinnier. Um, I kind of imagined it looking like some of the Nintendo Power artwork for The Double Dragon games. Nintendo Power would sort of have their artists do their own takes on the characters that didn't match the manual art. So it was kind of in that vein. Um, You know, it would be a character kind of wearing more pedestrian clothing, which could lend itself well to different builds and stuff like that. Um, But ultimately, just never found a hook that was compelling enough to... uh, move into the sculpted stage of a character like that. You know, I would almost always rather do something much more dramatic or grand or weird or, you know, uh, sci-fi related, I guess. What's interesting about this question is the being slash creature consisting of or heavily covered in crystals. I do actually have an abandoned storyline that kind of goes down this road. And I don't want to say too much about it. It, it. You know, should I ever... Um, decide to pick that story back up, which is a distinct possibility. Um, But I did come up with an interesting way that crystals and crystalline characters might sort of exist. And, um, you know, I hope to do something with that story at one point. I think also, like, with PJ's work, um, it's really hard to do something in the faceted crystal world, because he's done a phenomenal job at his line like I don't think he gets much better than that you know he's a real uh very good draftsman and um you know I I would have to have an idea that I think was much more compelling than his in order to do a figure in that sort of realm and uh you know I think that's a very difficult bar to exceed so that's it I dust my hands off now and uh I will leave This earthly plane of Dostazopod. I hope you guys are all driving to a nice holiday dinner. I hope everybody's having turkey. If you're not in the USA, uh, you can still have turkey. I'm not going to deny you that. But uh, other than that, thank you for the questions. Thank you for the endless support. And the only thing left to say is pizza out.